Curious humans, gentle ladies, lad men, ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and dreams alike, and welcome to the Devolver Digital Forecast here at forecast.devolverdigital.com. Hi, I'm your co-host JM. And I am Jared. Hey, Jared, how's it going? <laughs> uh, going all right. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Just before we started this, it seems that my neighbors out back across the way may have lost a tree in recent weather, uh, so there's some kind of large piece of construction equipment over there constantly making sound uh, which is the perfect yeah perfect time to record a podcast that reminds me of like the one time uh, when you lived here we were streaming together and i think like neighbors were mowing the lawn and it felt like they were mowing the lawn for like four fucking hours (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so this will be good right now it's just a constant noise which shouldn't which shouldn't show up, but I'm excited for critical moments to have like some kind of loud crash or <laughs> a lot of digging and scraping. Really, really stoked about that. Perfect. Jared, I've done the unthinkable. I've what talked to do? other people, and I now have a list of things to talk about in Devolver News right off the bat that oh, are exciting. actual things I should mention. Yeah, yeah. Jared, Jared, Greece is coming to Generation 9 Systems. Oh, that's exciting. The PlayStation 5, the Xbox, uh, it's coming out <laughs> on December 13th, and that's that's the hotness. Hell yeah. If you haven't so, played Grease, I highly recommend it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's going to be especially gorgeous on those. Oh, yeah. Jared, there's also some sales that are going on. For those who love to buy Devolver games, but hate giving us as much money as we in our wonderful indie developers deserve jared there's sales (laughs) on the playstation store the ps indies until the 21st of december and and jared i've got rumor that the day after this this podcast airs there's going to be a devolver sale on the humble store Ooh, that's exciting that's not all that's not all there's more the discounts don't stop there there's more (laughs) there's but wait uh game awards those games that uh, devolver games that have won awards in previous years or that are nominated for awards in the current year uh those games are also on discount on steam so if you happen to know which games those are already then you know what those discounts are that also includes greece because greece won uh that's cult is that cult of the lamb because it's nominated it's nominated you know what i'm not gonna (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to keep it vague so I can't fuck up. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yes. 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 Nailed it. <laughs> you can't be wrong if you don't say anything. That's right. It's, it's reasonable life advice. Jared, I heard some life advice uh, recently. A friend was telling me about some life advice that his friend's father had given to him at a young age. And it's, it's pretty epic stuff. Would you like to hear it, Jared? Yeah. Yeah, tell me. <clears throat> so this guy's playing. He's a kid, and he's playing Monopoly with his dad. And he, he can't figure out how, but he's, he's, like, he's pretty sure his dad is cheating. And as he's like figuring it out, his dad can see that he's figuring it out. And his dad gets, gets in close, and he says, Win if you can. Lose if you must. But always cheat. And I got to say, as far as cheating advice goes, that's some pretty solid cheating advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I guess so. (laughs) 
I feel like the lose if you must is pretty is is strong. Yeah, but always cheap. But always <laughs> cheap. It's like God damn, that is that's the best worst advice. Did you know that they made a version of Monopoly called the Cheaters Edition? And no. the, the idea is that like they're like everybody already cheats at Monopoly, so they made a version where it's like built into the game. And there's like huh. certain things you can do, and it. it <laughs> I I haven't played it, but it looks kind of fun because you like it's like you you're allowed to steal all kinds of things, but if you get caught, there's like a it comes with a pair of handcuffs, and so you like have to handcuff <laughs> yourself. So it's like <laughs> instead of going to jail, you're just like you lo- <laughs> you lose the ability to use your hands for a turn or something like that. It's pretty. <laughs> like, that's pretty. That's pretty impressive. So did you yeah. did you know that the original version of Monopoly, the woman who created it, uh, it had two different sets of rules, and basically there's a set of rules for for um, socialism, and mm-hmm. then the set of rules for capitalism. And the idea was like, here's a fun version of the game where everybody works together, and then here's the capitalistic version of the game where it's obviously super shitty and unpleasant after a very short amount of time. Uh, and the, uh, is it Parker Brothers or whatever company like ended up getting it? Basically somebody stole it and just kept the capitalistic version and that's the one we all know. I did know that. Um, and that's very ironic. (laughs) It sure is. It sure is. Uh, or apropos, who's to say? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's true. Did you know Gorn was originally a game about socialism? Gorn? Yeah, where it was like a bunch of like people working together, um, but then they also released the other version with the Emperor, and Free Lives stole that with the Emperor version, and uh, that's the Gorn we all know and love today. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The more yeah, you, you know. know it. I'm learning yeah. so much today. Yep, yep. What else Dropping you got for me? Teach? Thanks. Yeah, I'm sitting. I'm sitting backwards in the chair. Just want to relate to you, young people. <laughs> wow, uh, he's sitting yeah. informally. Let's listen to what he has to say. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here to jam with you. And uh, yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, have you been playing anything good, Jared? Uh, I started playing Scorn. Oh um, yeah, it's cool, man. Upsetting. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, there's like a, <laughs> there's a, a gorgeous art, right? Like it's 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 yeah. a game where like the art is what kind of carries the entire thing because the gameplay is kind of just basic, but yeah. um, really cool world. But there's a <laughs> there's a fucking moment early on where I was just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like a puzzle you have to solve. Um, so, like, the game involves a lot of machinery, but all of the machines... So, like, when, you, when you're when you solving puzzles, you kind of are, like... You, you interact with a machine, and it, it does a thing, and you're like, okay, and you have to kind of infer, based on seeing how everything works, that you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I, I don't know what this does, but I know I need to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So, eventually, you get to a point where, like, <laughs> you, you, you get, like, this <laughs> egg, and the huh? egg is, like, half-hatched, and there's, like, a person like coming out of it right mm-hmm. but he's like strapped down in a chair mm-hmm. and you could like walk up to him and i'm like okay so there's and he doesn't say anything he just like Meh. and i push him over to one of the machines i'm like okay i feel like i have to do this and this machine goes down on him and 
he starts fucking screaming and there's like blood pouring out and he's like desperately trying to get away and i was like oh oh my god oh my god <laughs> it was really i was oh, like god. holy holy shit <laughs> Oh I'm like, God. oh, I'm, I'm using this person as, like, a key <laughs> to open a door. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't finished it yet, but it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty. You like g- grotesque things. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> brutal. Damn. All right. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of grotesque things, Jared... What no, do you got? That's a terrible segue. I didn't <laughs> I have like, anything. I, I didn't was... have anything. I was, I was like, shit, how do I go from scorn to uh to the opposite of that? Um Nope, I got I got Jared. I, you know, do you so, have a segue? Yeah, my name is Jared. Um and uh my name starts with a J. And that got me thinking about uh JT, uh who I would love to talk to right now. Boom, how about that? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> JT, are you, are you here? Are you still on the call? Maybe he hung up. I'm still here. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. He's like, oh, this podcast sucks. I'm out. <laughs> but you are the opposite of grotesque, JT. You're a beautiful man with exquisite style and charm. Oh, you got the press release then. I'm glad. I'm glad. We did. We did. We got the press release. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll take it. Uh, yeah, well, welcome to the podcast, JT. How's it going? Thank you very much. It's been years, and, and I'm finally here. I feel like yeah. this is, uh, I feel like I'm breaking new ground with you, you fine gentlemen. This is excellent. Congratulations. This is your first podcast? It is. It doesn't really You teased count. me. You did tease me in the past, uh, and Robbie did as well. And uh, Yeah. But clearly I wasn't up to, wasn't up to snuff. Oh, no. Did we there mention we were going to have JT on, and then we just didn't? You did. Oh, he dangled well. it like a particularly juicy carrot, yeah, and then pulled it from my from my snapping jaw. And did that did that cause you emotional pain and distress in some way? N- no. Damn it! Ah, <laughs> damn it! I needed that because I was trying to unlock a door with your pain. It's fine. I'll figure out another way. <laughs> yeah, I've got lots of it. Fantastic, because uh, you've been working with us for years. And the ten anguish years. that comes from that. Ten years. Yeah, yeah, ten years. I mean, we I've only just fully come into the fold, but I've been lingering on the fringes of Devolver for, for yeah, a whole decade. Wonderful. I mean, I feel like that's how a lot of us were, kind of kind of sort of in the accretion disc of Devolver for a while until we got to become little planets closer to the center. It, yeah, I was just another one of those misshapen moons. <laughs> spinning around <laughs> I finally crashed to the surface so now I'm in pieces wonderful so what well, is it that you, you and your to, pieces oh uh, for the the fine folks at home listening tell them who the hell are you yeah who the <laughs> hell am I um, good lord so I've been hanging around the games industry for over 20 years late 90s I, I think i worked on my first ever game launch was in 1998 were you 12 um, you're so okay go on, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh you kindly sir um yeah and then uh, uh, uh one of the things i started doing quite a long time ago was 
doing a bunch of video stuff. I was in the PR world as well. And then, after a chance meeting at E3 in 2012 with one of my ex-colleagues, uh, we started doing some stuff with Devolver. And since then, I've done a bunch of different things with you folks, mm -hmm. uh, including uh, events, mm -hmm. some PR stuff, uh, not so much anymore, not for a long time. Um, and also, we started doing quite a bit of video work. And we created uh, the Behind the Schemes video series, yeah. which is a series of videos designed to give people a chance to meet the developers of the games who would otherwise never have that chance. So we uh, wanted to do videos that would show a little bit about the people, where, they're li where they live, where they're from, what they do, uh, how they interact with the world and each other, and try and get to the, the heart of the people creating the games that we all love that Devolver has been publishing for the last... Uh, 12 years or so yeah yeah those are i mean i was going to say those are the biggest well at least that i'm aware of those are definitely like the biggest thing that people would be able to just go to youtube and find devolver behind the schemes and those are all up there right currently yeah there, there, there's a there's a ton up there i mean we, we've done them at events as well mm -hmm. we've done them for for a bunch of specific games not all the games but yeah there's a whole load up there we the first one was published in 2016 so was that six the E3? years ago now? Was no, E3 it was one? even before that. The first one that was actually published was Mother Russia Bleeds. Uh -huh. Oh, cool. Fine Friends in Paris. And that was in 2016. And it wasn't actually the first one we filmed, bizarrely. The first one we filmed was with um, um, the guys in, in Seville who did Crossing Souls, uh -huh. the four attic guys. Um, but then, weirdly, I think that game got delayed so much that we, we ended up recording and publishing another one before that one even came out. Oh, nice. Don't quote me on that. I don't know anything about delays. I'm not, I have no responsibility for anything serious. That's a safe way to live. That's the best <laughs> way trying. to do it. I'm trying. So I'm trying to keep away you... from the cold face. Oh, yeah. Did you, uh, did you get into... Um games on purpose oh no it was a complete accident i mean when i when i was a kid i had uh you know, i was playing games like everybody was i was even programming games at one point but i fairly swiftly hit a wall with that and i had i had friends who were much smarter than i was and could program much better than i did but we did a great game called tank once where you we had this little tank and you moved it around the screen it made squelchy noises and chewed up little dots that was great. That was my finest programming achievement. I was about 13. Wonderful. And that was on a com computer called the Acorn Electron, which is the most British of computers you can possibly imagine. Actually, no, it's the second most British computer. It was the little baby brother of a computer called the BBC Micro, which, of course, is the most British computer you can possibly imagine. That's, that's uh, incredibly British. It was. It was the cheap one of those. So I had the cheap one of those when I was about 13 and was programming all sorts of things. I did an animated video for Paul Hardcastle's 19 once, completely programmed, hard programmed the visuals. That was great. I was very proud of that. It's probably lingering on some cassette tape somewhere in a cupboard at my mum and dad's house. That's what mums and dads are for. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, though, my, my first ever encounter with a computer was an American computer. 
and of course, I'm sure you're familiar with Radio Shack, being Americans. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And do you remember their brand, um, Tandy? Oh, is that a Radio Shack brand? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the same company. And they had a computer called the TRS-80, mm-hmm. which was, it, it ran on like a green screen monitor. Mm-hmm. So this this must have been mid-80s, I guess it was. Um, and, and my dad borrowed one really weirdly. I don't know why, why or how he borrowed one. And we had it at home, and we were doing that classic thing. You know, we were just, we were, we were like, like we discovered fire. So the whole family was gathered around this green screen monitor with this strange box attached to it with keyboard on it, and uh, and it came with a comic. It came with a Superman comic, huh. like a, a DC special edition hmm. TRS eighty Superman comic. And I had it for years. I think I've probably lost it now. I think it probably fell to pieces. But yeah, that that made a big impression on me. Was was Superman in a situation where he needed to be rescued by a TRS eighty? As I recall, <laughs> not quite. The TRS eighty would have probably struggled with that task. But there were a couple of kids in it, uh-huh. a boy and a girl, and they were super whiz kids. And mm. Superman had a super dangerous problem that he could not solve, and they needed the power of the TRS-80 to solve the problem. Hell so yeah. these super whiz kids programmed the computer to give them the information they needed so that Superman could save the world. Fantastic. Wow. It's ambitious. Ambitious marketing, I think, yeah. for, for the dawn of home computing. They were... They were... Boy, they sure had a lot of ambitions back then about what computers would do in the future. <laughs> yeah. And no one told them Superman wasn't even real. Thought, we got this. We got this. We can do this. Lex Luthor would pan out, though. Mm. Yeah, he'd be. He, yeah, he'd probably be into crypto. <clears throat> oh, super. So then how did you go? So how did you find your way into the industry? Ah, uh, okay. Uh Unless so, this is an untellable story. Not really. I mean, I'm trying to figure out how, not, how, to, how to not make it long-winded and boring. Um, so in the 90s, um, mid-90s, I packed my bags from the north of England, where I grew up, and went to, went to London. And it was the most exciting thing I'd ever done in my life. Yeah. And within a couple of years, I'd found myself working in um, the PR industry, originally via the fashion world. And then I got into working in agencies. And then in about 1998, we had a video game client came through. Um, I was working on all sorts of different stuff. We were working for Rizla, you know, the cigarette rolling papers, doing PR for them. Evian, the water. Uh, We worked for music festivals, a big festival in the UK called V. We Mm -hmm. did the PR for a bunch of other stuff as well. It was a really cool agency. In the, in the halcyon days of the late 90s where brands were just throwing money at agencies like ours just to make them feel cool about hawking their horrible trash um, in the world. And so we were very happy to take their money and use it to throw parties, which is what we did most of the time, to be honest. Um, and then this game client came along, and it was a game called Cyberdeck, which was a snowboarding game. And... Um, kind of basic it was by Cygnosis which was a Liverpool team very quite a famous dev team mm-hmm. and it was a PS1 game and it had an amazing soundtrack with music by David Holmes uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with him but he had some uh, some serious joints uh, and that was great and we threw a massive party <laughs> of course that's pretty much the extent of what we did it was a very good party um, yeah and then the uh, the next year this was when it really kicked off 
uh, the boss of the agents ca agency came to me one day and said, hey, John, you like weird Japanese shit, don't you? And I said, yeah. I think I had a bit of a reputation for being quite into... Not, not that kind of weird Japanese shit, but, you know, just... The, the, I always had a thing about the toys and just the, the graphics of, of Japanese, the Japanese universe. Yeah. I thought it was great. So anyway, he said, well, we've got this thing coming in, um, and it was a Nintendo game. But at that time, Nintendo didn't actually have an office in the UK. They had a distributor. Uh, um, so they were going through this company called THE Games, which was our client. So it was not even Nintendo, really. Mm -hmm. And the game was... Pokemon. The and Pokemon. So this was 1999. The Pokemon, the first ones, red and blue. And uh, I took a look at these these figurines and the trading cards and thought, I like I like the look of this. And so that came in and we did this massive UK launch for it. It wasn't just me. It was a huge team effort of uh, loads of people in this agency and I, this ridiculous launch event where we... Um, no, I say we. I had nothing to do with this part of it, but it was uh, they rented a bunch, of, a couple of articulated lorries, mm. um, and drove them and, and painted the sides of them. They were all painted black, but they had massive Pokemon decals on the sides of the lorry, lorries, and they drove them from France, put them on the back of a ferry, had a helicopter filming them coming over the the English Channel to the UK and drove up to London, drove across Westminster Bridge in front of Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament, filming the whole thing to create a, a, a press reel for the news. Mm. And then we did this event where we had all these fans coming on. Because by then, even before the game had launched, the trading cards had really taken hold in the nation's playgrounds, uh, schoolyards. Okay. And so, so the cards already did a come story first. There. Yeah, the cards came first. Okay. So this was 99, so I th the game, I think, originally launched in Japan, maybe 97, so it was already around, and the cards had been around for a while. And then we just, we just, it was one of those joyous things to work on that just drove itself, because there were stories breaking almost every day during a period of time of kids being being mugged for cards in the schoolyards and, and this was making national news it was it was amazing so we just piggybacked on the back of all this supposed negative attention of course the thing was a juggernaut it was unstoppable yeah um so yeah that was that was a lot of fun and that was that was it after that then then the nintendo account came in you see and i, I did loads of work on nintendo launched the game boy advance sp worked on a load of um god gba stuff even before the sp all that loads of stuff like that right ran the press office in the uk for a while Ooh. back in the early noughties yeah so so, so you brought pokemon to the world introduced it to the world <laughs> or single-handedly responsible not only for the game boy advance's popularity but for pokemon's popularity Absolutely not. Hop from party to party, <laughs> and then wound up yeah. at at an E3 in 2012. Oh no, that was much later. Before that, I I I, I um, span around in agencies for a while, and then realised I couldn't hack the agency life anymore, and I uh, I jumped ship and went got an in-house job at uh, at uh, Atari of all places. You made Atari famous. That's incredible. No. Okay. <laughs> Once again, absolutely not. <laughs> no. It was nice though. It was nice going out of uh, out of agencies because agencies are pretty full on, right? They're yeah. Pretty 
there's a lot going on. You've been pulled in lots of different directions. There's lots of shouting and swearing and all kinds of other carrying on. Um, they're pretty intense places. And I'd, uh, I, was, I was getting tired. And this was in my late 20s. You know, I, I was a shadow of the man I once was at this mm-hmm. point. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I thought I'd have a, a more chilled out life at Atari. And uh, there was an opportunity to travel, you see. And I thought, that sounds good. This was in London still. Yeah. And they said, well, uh, you'll be traveling, doing press tours, this kind of stuff. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So it was great. It was like a central marketing role, um, working with some great people, many of whom are still friends with today. And I got to travel. I thought, I'll do this for a year, and then I'll get a grown-up job. Of course, (laughs) I was there for five and a half years. Um, Yeah, so then uh, that brought me over to France, because Atari wasn't Atari at that time. You probably know a little bit about the history of Atari, but basically the the Atari of of, of old collapsed, I think, in the yeah. 80s. And um, it was in the late 90s, early noughties, and the brand was actually owned by Hasbro Interactive, which was a East Coast-based game development studio. And uh, Infogrames was a fairly well-known French publisher of video games. They made lots of money in the 90s by making games based on uh, comic books, French comic books, Mm. which were huge. So they made a lot of money, went on a buying spree around the world, and one of the companies they bought was Hasbro Interactive because they wanted the Atari brand, because they wanted to brand the company Atari, not Infograms, because no one in America could read the word Infograms and America has always been the number one market for games, right? So they thought, we'll grab this Atari brand that's going begging uh, and grab all its cachet and, and finally connect with our, uh, with the, to our full potential in the North American audience. Naturally, it didn't quite go like that. Um, good plan, though. Through, it was a good plan, yeah. If they'd had the games, it could have worked. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't take long. If you do a quick search on Atari, you can... You can see its recent checkered history. It's uh, struggling to find itself <laughs> in in the world of of digital interactive entertainment. I think. Yeah. But they keep trying things. They're not giving up. No. Yeah. So then, as the company collapsed basically in two thousand and nine, mm. uh, when it was being run by uh, Phil Harrison, who was famously the man who uh, was the face of PlayStation for many years. So he was our boss at the time, and he fired a whole load of us as the company was was collapsing around our ears. And then uh, I was in France, didn't have a job. thought, okay, I guess I'll try freelancing. So I did. I fell in with a bunch of different people, one of whom was a a PR agency called Cosmo Cover, based in France, Mm -hmm. run by the uh, uh, very powerful Salima. And I started doing some work for her. And then with them, I went to E3 in 2012. And at E3, I bumped into a man called Graham Struthers, who I had known from the Atari days in about 2005, because both he and Andrew Parsons, Devolver's head of production, both worked at Atari for a while when I was there. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I think Graham was doing some kind of project. Graham's obviously, to anyone who doesn't know, is one of Devolver's founders. And mm. at that time, he was doing some kind of biz dev contract, project contract, I think, at Atari. Um, 
yeah, so we, we got on. We knew each other. We had a few friends in common. Everyone knows everyone else in the games industry, right? And uh, and then I bumped into him, and he, he asked me what I was doing. I said, oh, I've, I've fallen in with this PR agency. I'm here pitching our services. And he said, oh, I might have some work for you. And uh, so it began, the journey with Devolver. I think um, Hotline Miami was pretty much the first thing we worked on. Oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. You made Hotline Miami famous? Once again, absolutely not. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I feel like I'm just a passenger on a lot of this journey, you know, I just uh, you know, enjoying the sights yeah. as I as I race through the landscape. Ditto to be honest, yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's valid. So you were doing Cosmo Cover stuff. We still work with Cosmo Cover. And yes. just started doing more and more things, and that led to yeah. behind the schemes and that sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I'd been doing Dev Dive. When I was at Atari, I I was the PR director when I left Atari, mm-hmm. which sounds all highfalutin and stuff. Um, but I used that position to actually do as many of the things that I really enjoyed doing as possible, one of which was actually meeting the developers and making videos with them. So we used to do a ton of dev diaries um, in the Atari days for loads of different games. And I, I loved doing that. I loved doing the interviews. I loved working with the editors, putting yeah. the pieces together. Um, and so I wanted to carry on doing that. So I, I did. And then uh, later on, I think it was Graham suggested doing doing these series of videos because one of the things in the early days of Devolver that I remember anyway was... Doing physical shows, it was always about making sure the developers were there to show their games and talk to people. Yeah, because it was always but it was always developer first. And mm-hmm. if I remember at one point having conversations like, "Well, if the developer can't go, we're not going to show the game." Mm-hmm. It was that important to to the presentation of the game and the and the company that the developers be at the be right at the front of of what was going on. But yeah. it wasn't always possible, especially when things accelerated and started snowballing the developers couldn't do that so graham's thought was well i know you like doing to me this is i know you like doing these kind of dev diaries and been doing them for years etc why don't we do something uh which is more of a showing this this human side of our developers going and meeting them where they live and work and, and talking to them and sharing their sharing their lives dipping a toe into their lives and then using that as a as a way to show the wider world who these people are and what they do and how they think and where they live. I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we did it. Gra- uh, Nigel, of course, came up with the name Behind the Schemes. It's one of those wow. beautifully simple names that uh, that you wish you'd come up with. <laughs> Solid stuff. Yeah, it was. So you've done a lot of these over the years with Devolver. Um I mean, would you Le Cartel, uh, Four Attic, uh, Nomada, From Greece? Yeah, Greece. Um, yeah, Rains. Rains. We did one for Rains. It was one of my favourite ones, actually. Um, but it was it was a bit, we, we 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 struggled at the start. We were making them too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like were like half they an just, hour. Well, never quite that long. I think okay. twenty twenty something minutes. Lower twenty minutes was was okay. the longest, but it was just a bit too bit too flabby really so we, we started um, cropping them down to just make them a bit more digestible 
Uh, but yeah, we did the, a, a fun one with Rains in London, which it's, it's always the ones sometimes you you the thing is with these you never never really know whether they, whether they're going to find an interested audience or not. Um, these videos and it, sure. after after about six years of doing them, you, you tend to notice the patterns, and uh, a lot of it comes down to how much general interest there is in the game, you know. How how big is the conversation happening around this game? Are the people who are into it, and if there are, then they can really explode. You know, I think obviously the biggest one was Four Guys, right? We did a behind the <laughs> schemes yeah. in London for Four Guys, and that got like half a million views on on YouTube alone. Because at that time when it came out, that game was just off the chart in terms cool. of people. People were just, you know. Screaming going everywhere for, for more Fall Guys content. They just wanted more, more, more content, so that drove it. Another one was My Friend Pedro. That did really well as well because there was such a huge groundswell of community interest in that game. Yeah. And then some of them didn't do so well, like the, the Reigns one, which really enjoyed the film. But I think we didn't put it out when Reigns came out, and also because it was a mobile game. It's a very different kind of market as well. Yeah. So it didn't really find many people who who watched it. Which is a shame, but you know, I get you're never gonna have five hundred thousand people watching you every one of these. Sure. Um, I think the the thing that I always look to is well, the people who have watched it, do they like it? Are they enjoying it? Yeah. And they generally seem to, so that 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 keeps me going. <laughs> that's the best. I mean, that's that seems like the best way to look at it. Like yeah, uh, like it's 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 about if the people who see it enjoy it, and if it if it. Also, like, if the developers feel well represented in it, if they look at it and they go, oh, cool, hey, we look cool in this. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I heard in feedback was that the series, as much as it was to give consumers out there, our public, uh, a window into the world of these developers, it was also mm. for other developers. And mm. I got I got the, the feedback that other developers really liked these videos watching these videos and and projecting themselves into them i think as well <laughs> the idea that oh hey we could do one of these yeah they seem to really enjoy that idea so i'm great i'm all for it they're still they're they're they're, they're the stars and anything that that puts them front and center and gives them a fun platform is, is great you know it was, it was a real move away from the traditional dev diary style of videos i've made tons and tons of them for loads of yeah. games over the years done tons of things with um like uh, bandai namco games over the years loads of things done filmed in in japan even filmed on a nato base once in germany for, for an ace combat game um but all those were all the traditional setup you know you've got a guy just to the left of frame who's talking to you just to the right of the camera, across mm -hmm. the shot. And they're just, you know, that style just seems really tired and old to me now. I think yeah. part of doing doing these more conversational pieces, I think, reflects the way that a lot of media was going, which was much more direct, you know, the, when when influencers started appearing and YouTubers, and that's all, mm -hmm. that's all very direct style of presentation. Um, so I think, I, I like that, I think that works. When you do these, I mean, they, there's there's the interviews, there's the conversations, but there's also, I mean, you you spend some time with the devs and you go around with them, right? Like they yeah. kind of have like a documentary feel, like you're kind of experiencing the whole. Like you, I, I 
you know, you give the vibe of like where the game is being made, like you establish like, you know, what city they're in and, and kind of that. Kind yeah, of exactly. Thing. I feel like they all, they feel like you're meeting the devs and stuff, but I also feel like almost a tourism video. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. It was <laughs> when when we first started doing the one of one of Graham's references was was this um, travel show it was in the UK in probably the 80s called mm-hmm. Wicker's World, which had this mustachioed middle aged gent uh, wandering around a planet with his plummy accent and making making sardonic comments about all these places he was visiting. And we wanted to do it, make it a kind of travelogue as well. Yeah. So you get you get a feel for the place you're in as well. I don't know. I hope it worked. I like it. Jared, I don't know what he thinks about it, but I like it. <laughs> Have you ever watched any, Jared? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> you haven't seen really? any of the behind the schemes? No, yeah, no, I have. Wow. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I, honestly, I think there's quite a few people at Devolver who've not seen any of them, so it wouldn't surprise me. I think I've seen them all. Yeah. Well, there's there's sure a playlist on the YouTube page, so there is on I the think YouTube. I have them all on Steam as well. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's they're right. on there too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, here they all are. I can read them out for you. <laughs> well, we had a we had a discovery a few years ago that they were quite popular in 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 China. Hazel would hmm. give us updates saying, "Oh yeah, you get, I think we had like four hundred thousand people had watched one of them or something." I thought it was outrageous. Whoa! Good job we got it subtitled, eh? Good job. We've been trying to get <laughs> subtitles on the podcast for a while, and it has not panned out for us. It's a tricky business. It, work. it really so, is. It's considerably more man hours than you might expect involved in accurate subtitling. Oh, I bet. Oh, Lord. Yeah. So, what, so. what goes into... is that? Is, are those kind of the primary thing you're up to these days? Are you up to other stuff these days? Uh, yes, still still tinkering with videos. You know, we we do we do bits of video stuff. We did mm-hmm. some uh, some of the videos uh, for Cult of the Lamb, the sermon videos, mm, for example. That's right. Yeah, with your friend who did the yeah. the wonderful voiceovers. Yeah. Um, she was amazing to work with. I, I had so much so much fun working with her. She was great. Um, so that was that was a few months ago, wasn't it? And then we did them some McPixel stuff. Yeah, we've we've <laughs> create accidentally created this this new character Stephen Stevens mm-hmm. <laughs> in the stupid McPixel documentary is he uh, named after Steve from McPixel well yeah and and I just thought Stephen Stevens was a was a suitably stupid name it's, it's a good um, name because it sounds like even Stevens which is uh-huh. you know that stupid cliche you say mm-hmm. which I think was in Kill Bill or something isn't it even Stevens she says that mm-hmm. yeah so Stephen Stevens yeah the newsreader on hard briefs. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, he may reappear. I'm looking forward to uh, to him reappearing. Uh, I think he's a good I have recurring. To, I, have to, I have to darken my moustache to film him. Is that a long process? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> considerably. Yeah, yeah. I use an old toothbrush. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of my old toothbrushes pretty nasty and they darken a moustache real quick <laughs> yeah that's an additional skill you know I was never expecting to have the uh, have the darkened moustache achievement uh, there it there is there you go unlocked Ding. yeah that was good so what did we do this year we did a couple this year we did Shadow Warrior 3 we, we, we went to see as well and, and, and Nerial 
card shark in london which was mm-hmm. amazing i mean the thing is why i love these and why i've always loved these is because i just love meeting these people who make these games i'm always in awe of people yeah. who can create things because <laughs> yeah. I, I guess i'm I, i'm a, 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 at peace with myself as a as a frustrated artist i don't think i really have the what it takes to to really produce art and i'm just always delighted to be in the company of people who who can just create and produce and like being doing the card shark one was nikolai mm-hmm. being with nikolai i mean that guy is just polymath he's just outrageous mm. uh, creating his art he's he's dipping his toes into all sorts of things doing animation he teaches as well which is something i used to do so we we talked a lot about that too and yeah i just, I just love meeting those people always i mean that's yeah what jared and i will talk about like that's one of the best things about the physical shows is the devs come you get to meet the devs and hang out and you get to meet the artists who make the work mm. um yeah, well, here's a good one. So when I was doing work for Bandai Namco a few years ago, because I actually freelanced for them as well after I left, after I got fired, it was great. They, they tried to they tried to lure me back in because basically Atari disappeared and it got taken over by by it was Namco Bandai then and now it's Bandai Namco. They flipped the name around, and then they offered me my old job back at half the salary. <laughs> Which I Ooh. thought was hilarious, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure I should even say that. But anyway, they did, and I said, I said no, thank you. But I carried on working for them. I freelanced for them for like two and a half years, and it, it actually set me up starting my own business back in 2009. They were they were brilliant, and uh, and they I was carried on making videos for them, and we did a series of dev diaries for Dark Souls 2 um, in Japan. And yeah. I had a, I got a crew out there that I used that I, that I used to work with. And, fixer and all that stuff and we put together a crew went out there to the studio um miyazaki-san had said that he didn't want to be filmed right he's Mm -hmm. famously camera shy um so we had the studio head who was a lovely man uh, but unfortunately didn't know a lot about the game so we had this ridiculous setup in the studio from software in tokyo where we had studio heads sitting on a sofa all framed for the interview talking to me and Miyazaki-san was sitting at his desk next to him mm-hmm. with the idea that he would feed him the answers <laughs> live as we were going through this interview. Naturally, this lasted about one question. And he got so <laughs> frustrated with, with the studio head's inability to eloquently uh, relate his answers that he said, OK, OK, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And sat down, gave us this absolutely fascinating interview where he talked about his sketchbook showed us his sketchbook went through it showing us all this stuff this really incredible insight into his creative process it was just you know when you're doing the interview you're just like fizzing because you know how exciting this stuff is it was just great i just knew the fans were gonna love it went back to france about a week later they said sorry you can't use any of it nothing So, <laughs> so annoying and then they ended up like basically staging this interview with some producer in in some empty room and sending us the footage and we had to yeah. build the dev diary series around these really dull staged interviews uh. <laughs> it was just so <laughs> depressing so do you have in your archives somewhere this incredible interview that the world Ooh, that- has never seen that is a very good question. I think so. It's probably in London somewhere with my uh, an editor I used to work with a lot in London. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we'd get crucified if we ever let that out of the bag. Sure, but I mean, you know, a private screening or something would be cool. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it's a lot of work though. We'd have to, we'd have to um, transcribe and translate it all uh, as well. Fair. But yeah, you yeah. know, it's possible. Next time you're in London, I'll give you the address and you can go around and threaten them. See if you can get. Yeah, yeah. I hear you got a Miyazaki interview. We did. It. We had another one like that actually. This was. This was. Um, just before Atari collapsed in 2009, we were working on the Ghostbusters video game, mm-hmm. um, which was a fantastic project to work on because it was the first good game ever, I think, and, and it was officially licensed and the actors were involved. We actually did a press event in New York uh, which with Dan Aykroyd, which Ooh. I chaired, which was hilarious <laughs> because uh, I you know, got a photo of him again. He was very precious about not letting anyone have photos yeah um and he hijacked the press event for his uh was it crystal head vodka yeah yep <laughs> yeah so so we were waiting for him he was late he was a bit he was pretty chaotic but he just basically smashed the doors in at the back of the room rolled into the room shouting his head off with his trolley uh like a little goods trolley just loaded with cased bottles of his vodka <laughs> so, so the, the press conference immediately became about his vodka and barely a word was said about Ghostbusters the video game but you know who cares it's Dan Aykroyd he can do yeah. whatever he likes <laughs> and he signed he signed uh, Blues Brothers 7 inch for my kids so I was oh, absolutely shit. delighted Okay. Fuck yeah! Did he talk about? He didn't aliens? talk to me. It was really weird. <laughs> I kind of knocked on the door and said, "Hey, uh, excuse me." I was really nervous. Excuse me. Would you, would you mind serving this, saving, signing this for my kids? And I told him a pointless story about how my kids love to dance to the Blues Brothers soundtrack around the, around the apartment before bedtime. And was, it's like, you know, he, I might have, might as well have been talking to a wall. He barely acknowledged my presence, but at least he signed it. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that was good, but yeah, and then so on that on that project, another part of that was uh, Ray Parker Jr., who oh. of course wrote the theme. He yeah. came to London. I can't remember why. I'm not sure whether it's to promote the game or or what. But we interviewed him again in London, and it was another of those super exciting interviews where because I'm a huge music fan as well, and he he was talking about working with the Funk Brothers at Motown and how Barry White taught him how to write songs, and just all this just absolute solid gold stuff from his whole history of, of working in music. And then um, Ghostbusters got taken away from Atari by Sony, and that footage was never used either. <laughs> Man. Damn. So that's that's actually could be in the same place in London, that Damn. footage. I hope so. I always wanted to resurrect that stuff and make a little documentary about Ray Parker Jr. because it's the sort of thing that I would actually love to watch as well. Yeah. You know, you could dig into all the music archives of all that whole Motown sound and Funk Brothers and all that. But anyway, maybe when I retire, huh? Yeah, yeah. When you're tired, then you, you know, do the Passion Project, the, the Ray Parker Jr. documentary. Yeah, it could be a long time. Well, uh, which of the Devolver interviews did you not get to use? Which of the Devolver dev interviews did you have to shelve to put into the archives? I think we've used all of them. Yeah? I think so. I mean, when we shoot them, we shoot a ton of different interviews with, with yeah. a load of different people. So yeah. not everything makes the cut. Sure. Um, and sometimes people will appear very briefly, even though we did maybe a 40-minute interview with them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I can't think of anyone who's who's been who's been canned. <laughs> I think it's all been used. What goes into setting those up? Um, you know, getting ready to do those and how those come about. Well, I actually think I think the devs quite often the developers put in a lot more than I probably realize a lot of the time to these mm-hmm. things. Because I, I I take it in quite in my stride now doing these things. Um, I love doing it, but I'm also used to doing it. A lot of these people that you speak to, when you stick a camera in front of their face, it could be the first ever time they've done anything like that. Yeah. And you never know what people are going to do when you stick a camera in, in front of them. Sometimes <laughs> they'll come to life and sometimes they'll just corpse completely. Yeah. Um, so it's always a bit of a lottery. And I, I think a lot of the time... Uh, it depends on the on the people, you know. I remember going to um, doing the messenger one in Quebec, and Thierry, mm-hmm. uh, who's the guy at Sabotage. I mean, he's just a consummate storyteller. I was hearing mm-hmm. stories about how he would he would keep an in- entire room of people wrapped with his tales, uh, circuitous tales, until like five o'clock in the morning. And he's just he's just a natural storyteller. So it was effortless with him to just talk and talk and talk. But then yeah. some people, I think, put in a hell of a lot of prep just to get themselves at ease with what they're going to be talking about and saying. Um, yeah, so I, I really respect that, though. I think uh, everybody's got to find their own level with these things. It's not always easy. Uh, yeah. But f- from our point of view, you know, we just we say, hey, do you want to do this? I don't, we've never been turned, be- turned down by a developer. I think the yeah. biggest problem is sometimes fitting it into a schedule, especially if they're a small team, because we tend to do these quite close to launch which is often yeah. the most intense period in the development cycle so trying to fit in around that is can be tricky sometimes uh, and then you know give us a couple of days and we'll come and harass you <laughs> stick cameras in your face <laughs> and they're always always extremely accommodating so yeah. yeah every single one has been a delight to do really even we ended up going back to from software which is hilarious to do metal wolf chaos and the guy there, the guy there, recognised me from from the Dark Souls Two filming, which is funny. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, they were lovely. They were so accommodating. They were much less. Um, how could I say? I got the sense that when we were there with Bandai Namco, they were they were always quite um, tense. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of politics goes on. I get the impression between developers and publishers in Japan. Mm-hmm. And I think because they'd embraced Devolver for being Devolver, they were much more relaxed about Devolver being there. Nice. Um, which was, yeah, it was a different vibe compared to filming there for, for Bandai Namco, which was very interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And then we did the, we've done the, all the event stuff as well. We, started, we, we actually did the first ever video behind the schemes was actually E3 in 2016, which I think is what you said earlier, isn't it? Yeah. That was, but... that, yeah. Okay. Nice. That was the first one that was published, and we did little video diaries for four days of E3, and then we did it again in 2017. The and difference then we didn't do it again in 2018. The difference, however, <laughs> between these 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 behind the schemes with the devs, I just want to be clear. Uh, Simon, your your editor uh, and cameraman, yeah. and just he's he's so fantastic because when you were doing these at E3, y'all would film them during the show, during the mornings, during the day, and then he would edit them together that night. Yeah. And have them up online, what that night? Like he would have yeah. them up that yeah. night, so that so that we could get questions from 
fans yeah. that we would then have people answer on camera the next day. So four days of him like editing those and getting them up and, and the turnaround on that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's a machine. Honestly, I, I found him um, probably about eight years ago. He's a local kid here because I, I live in France, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Lyon, France, and he he's here as well. And I found him because I saw a video online that I thought was really cool. Um, I think it was some kind of music-related thing. And he, he'd made it, so I contacted him cold. He said, mm-hmm. I really like what you do. Can, can we do some stuff together? And we started doing stuff. I think one of the first things we did was a Dark Souls video in, uh, here in France. A bunch mm-hmm. of stuff, yeah. But he's just, he's just incredible. He's, 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 he's super, super nerd when it comes to everything, mm-hmm. cameras, <laughs> editing. He, he's just... He just runs rings around anyone I've ever worked with, and he's he's just really smart. Always, you know, he really cares about the quality of of yeah. everything that he he produces, and he's so fast. And like you said, those videos we did at E3, <coughs> excuse me, were actually quite involved. There was a lot <laughs> going on. You know, there's a whole raft of interviews. There's some lots of little bits to camera, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, and, you know, we put them together with music and do one a day over four days. There was a lot of stuff. Especially your my, one of my favorite moments. I think probably my favorite moment was the um, your uh, your badly dubbed sword <laughs> fight with Rasmus, <laughs> which was exquisite. That. I thought that was just beautiful. <laughs> it was just one of those things. We all came. We all came at it with all, all our own little. Okay, let's do this. Let's do that. And then someone's. I think you suggested flipping over the voiceovers so that his yeah. voice was on you and your voice was on him, and that was just. <laughs> Oh, chef's kiss. So good. <laughs> Absolutely loved that. Absolute piece of work. And then Simon editing it, putting the music on, putting the filters on to make it look really grainy and blah, blah, blah. It's great. Mm-hmm. And Dose One doing a rap to open one of the videos as well. That was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally freestyled it, ad-libbed it live. Amazing. Loved yeah. all that stuff. Those were a blast. Yeah. Again, I hope... Hope it's not the end. Yeah, I hope we get to do those again. Those were yeah, those are just so much fun. And yeah, I mean, you the interviews with everybody there. I mean, y'all were getting and then, you know, having people on the dev teams like you know having it was devs and Devolver members answering questions from, you know, from yeah people who'd seen the videos and it was just such it was such a wonderful experience. It was so cool. Yeah. Ah, uh, the old Ask Devolver mm-hmm. tweets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was lots of fun. We used to get some regulars on there sending us questions. <laughs> ah, you know, they, they love it. When you put their questions in a video like that, yeah. it, it just, I mean, it's just such a kick, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, my God, I'm in the video. I think we even <laughs> had a couple of people that were fans of the, the Devolver Public Access streams got in a couple of their questions. Excellent. Even yeah. Better. I think noisy Closing the circle. Yeah. Yeah. Tulsinator got in. Anyway, yeah. Oh yeah, yes, he was a regular. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, always lovely, always lovely to hear from people, whether it's tweeting questions or just reading the comments afterwards, and just seeing people enjoying the enjoying the content, enjoying the stuff is is brilliant. Yeah, it's it's entertaining, but also very humanizing. It was lighthearted but informative it was great fucking knocked it out of the park a lot of fun not over yet well it's Mind you, i'm getting old i'm getting old now this is the thing 
You know, yeah. when I was first doing them, it was five years ago. I feel I feel like about fifteen years older than I was five years ago. <laughs> I think that's everybody. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of everybody. Yeah, but still, I like when I when I when I catch myself in a photo or a video now compared to even five years ago. I'm like, who's that old dude? <laughs> what's, what's he doing, man? Get out of there! Terrible. So many. I'll keep going as long as they have me. As long as they'll have me. Oh yeah, yeah. I've been voting to keep you every time. We have a vote every time, and I vote to keep you. <laughs> it's close well, thank every you. time. But thank you I'm very much. Side. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a shame on. you're not a natural storyteller, and we had to drag every answer out of you on this. Uh, uh, well, yeah, you, you've, you've basically sparked a, a, a kind of a verbal delirium, I'm afraid. Sorry. No, it's okay. It was, it was, <laughs> no, it was wonderfully cogent and informative and delightful. Uh, so... Yeah, no, this has been this has been great. All right, well, I've no idea what what happens next or whether I'll be invited back again. But you know, thanks for yeah. I guess thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on here. Um, have you heard Jared do the thing? I haven't heard Jared do the thing, but I'm very excited to hear ask Jared him to do, do the, the thing. thing. He loves it when Jared, I guess ask him to do. Would the you thing. please do the thing? Do you like video games? <laughs> well, I got good news for you. You can follow Devolver Digital on all the social medias and learn about our video games. We got a twitch.tv slash Devolver Digital. There's a Discord uh, with all kinds of channels and the forecast channel so you can talk to us directly. There's a Twitter for $8 a month. I'm going to keep saying it until <laughs> Twitter burns uh, to the ground. Um, rotten hell, Twitter. Uh, we've got an Instagram. We got a Facebook. We got them TikToks. Got some hot TikTok content for you Zoomers out there. And I bull. Oh, and there's that new thing that you told me about, JM, and I already forgot. It has a, <laughs> yeah, the it has Mastodon. A, Mastodon! Yeah. I, for some reason, I was like, it's called like Valhalla or something like that. Like, okay, Mastodon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we have that, whatever the fuck that is. And uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's it. You can find us all there. And um, yeah. That's, that's the, the thing. thing. <laughs> I feel like you've underlined our podcast with a, 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 a fierce blast of profanity. It feels it feels just and right. I basically like anybody who has the podcast on in the background and is just using it as background noise. I, I like to catch them off guard, and make sure they wake the fuck up. You did that, yeah. I, I put them to sleep, so that was that was the time. That was well well judged. You just you have, you, a very, the you have a very pleasant voice, and it's it's very like you know it's like oh that's very nice to listen to, and then boom, I come in like a goddamn record scratch. <laughs> yeah, and they realize they've been asleep for the last forty minutes. Fair enough, I'll take it. Oh no, thank you so much for being on here, yeah, JT. Thanks. That was honestly like I've been shot like like I was listening, and I kept looking at me like oh my god, the time is flying. So this has been really nice. <laughs> Wow, we actually made an hour. That was that was I, 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 an hour felt like it was going to be a long time, but that was that was good. Yeah, no, I. It felt I, cathartic. I don't feel like I need therapy anymore. Good, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's that's great. That's what yeah, that's what the podcast is for. Well, thank um, you both, doctor. You, you doctors. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. We'll bill your insurance. Please do. Um, <laughs> great. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, JT, thanks for sharing. Yeah, I could have. We should. We should have you on again for more stories and and stuff because this has been fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Bless you all. 
Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Year 2012 will be seen by video game historians as a turning point for the independent game developer. One game radically altered the course not only of video games but of human civilization. That game was McPixel. I didn't understand what they had created. However, not everything has been sunshine and hot dogs. The mere mention of the unreleased McPixel 2 sparks uncontrollable emotions in the dozens of developers who worked on the doomed project. Yeah, I was the lead systems engineer on McPixel 2. Uh, that was back when it was an open world RPG. They wanted me to uh, consult on groin cakes. Um, I was into it. I was hired as the lead composer on McPixel 2. And they told me to create over 15 hours of music with the London Symphony Orchestra for what at that point was going to be this AAA cinematic adventure game. For the full, terrifying and unchallenged story of Muckpixel 2's rise and fall, visit muckpixel2.com now. Imagine if, in an instant, you lost everything you truly love, and the only clue as to how that happened is a mysterious firearm known as the Gumbrella. Gumbrella. Love is a fundamental motivating factor in everything that we do at Doinksoft. So when this man began his search for the truth, we knew we had to tell his story. Follow one man's unyielding quest across a bitter landscape as he attempts to unlock the secrets of this most unorthodox weapon. We realized very early on that the Gumbrella is not only a firearm that can utilize several different types of ammunition, but it's also a powerful traversal tool, allowing for dashes, double jumps, and even zip lining. All things that our unlikely hero will need as he investigates ruined and crumbling towns, underground facilities, and the terraced gardens of the social elite. We've been working on unraveling the mystery of the Gumbrella for X months slash years now, and we're still uncovering new mysteries, not only about the Gumbrella itself, but about the world that it comes from. Follow Doinksoft's incredible journey by visiting Steam and wishlisting Gumbrella today.